Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Lord God, we are so thankful to be in your house this morning. Thankful, Lord, to sing your praises. You are so deserving. Lord, quiet our hearts, open our minds. Help us to recognize who you are in our lives. That, Lord, we might be changed, we might be different when we leave than when we came. Quiet us as we hear your word. In your name we pray. Amen. I came to a very serious uh, understanding about two minutes ago when I opened my Bible to read Revelation. I think it's time for a new Bible. Somewhere along the line, I lost chapter 21 and 22. <laughs> it's pretty awkward there for a moment. <laughs> so that's why I have a pew Bible. <laughs> Revelation 21, verses uh, 1 through 6. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then an angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and He will reign forever and ever. Amen. May God you offer His, uh, His words to our hearts this morning. As we sit today to hear God's Word speak, to us uh, through the written word here and then through the word that uh, we have heard sung and we have participated in singing in with, uh, with uh, one another in, in worship. We were talking the other day with uh, one of our sons and he's uh, happily anticipating a new job in a new town uh, in the near future. Uh, this transition time for them is a time when they've been thinking back to their previous transitions when they went from place to place and, and what they learned through that transition time. 
But they're so certain of their new position that they've gone to that place and they've looked at new houses there and they've gone to see the school where the kids will be uh, enrolled and uh, they're uh, really living like as if uh, the, that new future is already here in some respects. Although they're still living and working in their present position and they, uh, they want to finish strong in that present place where they are working, uh, they're really anticipating the future. Their excitement of that new place uh, is always on their mind. Like I said, it's, it's like they're living their new life already, uh, not having yet arrived at that new place. And that's the way it should be with us as Christians. We have a new place that we're going to, uh, a new eternity uh, where we will spend uh, all of our time and, and our life eternal uh, with our Lord and with the loved ones who love the Lord Jesus like we do. And so we're still living this life, and we need to live a strong life. Uh, but at the same time, we want to live like as if we've already arrived at that new destination as much as possible, being prepared uh, in our minds and in our hearts and in the way we live our lives uh, so that when we get there, we're going to feel right at home in that new place. Originally, uh, God created this place that we live in, uh, this earth that we live upon. He created it as a perfect place, uh, a place where uh, sin was unknown, where everything worked according to plan. And uh, Adam and Eve were placed in that beautiful uh, garden, they called it, Garden of Eden, and we can read about that in Genesis. And there humans walked with God. Uh, they ate from the tree of life. Uh, they drank from the rivers of life. Life for them was everlasting as far as they knew and as far as they understood. People had a good relationship with one another in that place, Adam and Eve and their children. And uh, they got along well with the animals and with the plant kingdom. Uh, God even asked them to name the plants and the animals too. Creation cooperated with them and produced goodness for them in all kinds of ways. Now you compare that with the world we live in today, and uh, the re results of Adam and Eve's sin is quite evident. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. He, he had a plan for them, and they said, no, I don't want that plan. I want something else. And so they fall uh, from their position of grace with God, and they fell into a, a broken relationship and that broken relationship resulted in the curse of sin upon not only their lives, but the life of creation around them. Death and destruction uh, became evident quite quickly. Relationships in this world are not as healthy as the relationships in the world that God originally created. Uh, there's envy, there's hatred, there's war, there's divorce, there's alienation, frustration, you name, you name it. There's, it's found in this world. Because without the tree of life and without the river of life flowing through uh, God's kingdom, our lifespan is but very brief. Worship in our present world is also difficult, isn't it? Because uh, unlike Adam and Eve, we can't walk with God every day in the coolness of the day. We can't talk with him face to face and, and physically have interaction with him like Adam and Eve could. So doubts and fear and rebellion against God and the truth of God and God's word are quite clear. 
And it's only those who have a relationship with Jesus, those who recognize their broken relationship and ask the Lord Jesus to forgive them and come and live in their life, only those people have just at least a glimmer of what it's like to have a relationship with God. Creation itself is not in harmony. So animals are savage with each other and with human beings. Uh, Weather patterns are hostile. The earth itself often quakes in rebellion and destruction. And people suffer as a result. But thankfully, again, uh, this is a temporary situation. A new world is coming, the Bible says. Imagine a new world, a world like the one that Adam and Eve lived in with God originally, only perhaps an even better world than they lived in originally. A new world that we read about this morning in Scripture from the book of Revelation, a, a world that has all that beauty and all that good relationship that we heard from the Scriptures. Well, Isaiah proposed this idea some 800 or 1,000 years perhaps before uh, John wrote about it in the book of Revelation in these final chapters 21 and 22. Isaiah tells us how that can be accomplished, how this new world uh, that uh, John writes about and that uh, Isaiah prophesies about several hundred years ahead of John in Revelation, he tells us how that can happen. How can we transform this world? How will this world be transformed? What will happen? Uh, And what already has happened as far as From our perspective, Isaiah, it had not yet happened. The Savior had not yet come. Jesus, the Redeemer, had not become the Word, the God himself, become flesh and dwelt among us. So he predicts that this will happen. And in Isaiah 53, we're going to look through Isaiah and compare the words of Isaiah with what we've read in uh, Revelation 21 and 22. So in Isaiah 53, he begins this process of how this new world will happen. Uh, And that will happen because he took up our infirmities, he carried our sorrows, from chapter 53 and verse 4, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everybody to our own way, But the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus, this Messiah that Isaiah is prophesying will come and has already come in the person of Jesus. The Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all. And so there's the the reason why we know we can have a reestablished relationship with God such as Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. Isaiah goes on to tell us that God's preparing a new world for us, a new world that, uh, that he wants all people to participate in, a new world that uh, John continues to uh, unveil for us in his book in Revelation. Uh, John had a first-hand glimpse because an angel took him and showed him what this new world would be like. For Isaiah, again, he was just looking ahead and dreaming, so to speak, with God's help, uh, what that world would be like. And so Isaiah 54, he tells us, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love will not for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. 
for the Lord has compassion on you. It's the Lord's compassion, his unfailing love, that will make possible this new heaven and this new earth that he has planned for us to dwell in. The new world that John so dearly cherished as he looked forward to that day. Isaiah goes on to tell us that the invitation is open to all people who will come. Uh, no one is excluded from the invitation. Now that was quite a radical idea uh, in, in John's time because uh, the Jewish people thought they were the only ones that God would relate to. They were, they were the only people that God was going to call his chosen people. They were the only people who could come into a relationship with God. And so when Isaiah said this, uh, you know, heads must have turned. Eyes must have rolled up in people's heads and think, oh my, Isaiah's gone crazy. But no, Isaiah says, come, he's saying about God's invitation, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, come and buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on stuff that's temporary uh, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight and the richest affairs. So he says, you're invited to come and join this everlasting party, uh, this everlasting home uh, that God will prepare for us. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, Isaiah says. My faithful love will be extended to you as it was to my servant David. And then he encourages people to seek the Lord. Don't go off in your own way like sheep do. My uncle had... Uh, two uncles had a, a flock of sheep, and they would just go wherever they wanted to go. Uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. It seemed like that's what we were busy doing was chaping, chasing sheep that had gone astray. Whenever some of the sheep would get through the fence, uh, Uncle Ed would call up on the phone and say, Ernest, send some of those boys over here to help me gather up the sheep. You know, and so off we'd go, and, and uh, we'd find those sheep that had gone astray. And it really got exciting when they built Interstate 79 up and down through the valley because then the sheep would always go out on the highway. You know, they, uh, they decided that was the best place. The, the, the grass was the greenest in the median strip of the highway. So we'd be out there trying to get those sheep off the highway. But anyhow, we, we are like those sheep. We go astray. We turn every one of us to our own way. Uh, but the Lord is seeking us out. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And turn to God for he will abundantly pardon. He wants us to come. He says the invitation is open. All we need to do is to respond to that invitation that God has offered to us. Now, there's a two-stage response, I believe, to this uh, uh, coming to the Lord. We come to the Lord recognizing our sin and our need for salvation and forgiveness in Jesus' name, but then he wants us to create a new community. Uh, centuries before Jesus' coming, uh, God offered the nation of Israel the chance to be a new community, to be a demonstration of God's love in the world in which they live. They were going to be like a preview of what God wanted to do with all the people of the earth. Unfortunately, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, uh, many times refused to be the people of God. They rebelled against God. And so then when Jesus came and he established the church on the day of Pentecost, he offers to us, the church, that same opportunity to be uh, a demonstration 
uh, along the highway in the summertime in a farm country where I live, they have these signs stuck up along the cornfields and the wheat fields and the soybean fields and all that stuff. And they'll say, demonstration plot, you know. And then it'll have the name of the, of the seed corn or the soybeans or whatever and the number and all that stuff. And what they're, what they're trying to do is to set a demonstration. Here's what really good corn will look like, you know. Really good soybeans will look like. And they try to encourage the other farmers to buy that kind of particular seed or whatever it is. Well, that's what God is calling us to be as his people. We are to be a demonstration plot, a preview, uh, 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 foretelling of what that new heaven and that new earth will be all about. To offer an example to the people around us of a future coming new world. Will we take up that offer that Jesus offers to us? Or will we simply be people who will say, well, great, I'm saved. Now all i got to do is just sit around and wait until Jesus comes. That's not exactly what the Lord has in mind. That's what the people of Israel thought. They thought all we'd had to do is sit around and offer the sacrifices and show up at the temple once in a while and everything will be all right. They forgot that they were to be that demonstration, that public example. Another word would be, beachhead in a foreign land or an enemy territory. Uh, World War II, at the end of World War II, there was a uh, time called D-Day, and uh, uh, the Allied forces invaded Europe, and they established what was called a beachhead there in Normandy. And that beachhead uh, received thousands and thousands of troops that came there to establish a beachhead, uh, a place where they could launch... uh, and retake uh, the enemy territory. And that's what the Lord wants us to be, is a beachhead, where we can gather together and and services like this on Sunday morning and and celebrate together what God has done for us and rejoice and learn. And then we can go out to where the Lord has placed us and try to take back the enemy's territory that has been stolen. You and I are are in for a real exciting life if we take up what the Lord wants us to do. To understand our mandate as Christians, I want to use uh, some words that that all start with R-E, and they're found in Isaiah. Uh, R-E words mean to change back to a former state. So in Isaiah 57, Isaiah says, here's what we're supposed to do. He says... um, He talks about God, the God who lives in a high and holy place, and the God who is with those who are contrite and lowly in heart. That God wants to revive, the first R-E word, revive the spirit of the lowly, revive the heart of the contrite, Isaiah 57, verse 16. He says, I won't accuse people forever. I won't be angry with them. And verse 18, he says, I will guide them and restore them and comfort, restore comfort to them, creating on them the lips of praise in the mourners of Israel, offering peace to those who are far and near, and I will heal them. So those R-E words, he says, I will remove obstacles out of the way of my people. I will revive the spirit of the lowly, and contrite in heart. I will restore or bring peace and healing to those who are mourning. 
So you and I, as God's example, you and I as God's people, representatives here on earth, you and I as the beachhead that he has established in this world, we can remove obstacles out of the way of people who want to come to the Lord. We can revive the Spirit. There's a lot of lowly people who are contrite. There's a lot of people who need peace and comfort and healing. Are we up to the challenge? Will we go forth removing, reviving, and restoring? We have lots of examples of Christians doing that. Right here in Erie, there's the Erie City Mission. And that's really, literally, what they're doing, not only spiritually, but physically. They're removing obstacles out of the way of people who need to know the Lord. Some of those obstacles are homelessness. Some of them are hunger. Some of them are uh, unemployment. Uh, they're having all kinds of drug problems there. They're helping to remove those obstacles out of the way of those people so they can be revived in spirit so that their heart uh, can be contrite and receptive to the Lord, so they can, they can restore the Spirit and bring peace to those people there who mourn on the streets of, of uh, Erie. And that could be repeated in any number of Christian centers. In Youngstown, there's one called Trumbull Baptist Neighborhood Ministries. In Weirton, there's called Weirton Christian Center. In Pittsburgh, there's one called Rankin Christian Center. Nearly every major city in the country has a place where people can be... Uh, can have obstacles removed from their life, and their spirit revived, and they can be restored. Isaiah 58 goes on to give us some more of those R-E words. He tells us that Christians can be an example of rebuilding. <clears throat> In verse uh, 12, he says, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls, Restorer of streets with dwellings. Rebuilding foundations of faith and hope and love. Uh, repairing broken walls of trust. Repairing broken walls of civility. We have a rather uncivil society sometimes. We can be repairs of the broken walls of civility. Repairs of the broken walls of grace and forgiveness. And then he says, restorers, restorers of streets with dwellings for those who want to find righteousness. American Baptist men have been doing that for uh, 80 years or more. Uh, they literally rebuild foundations when people's houses are destroyed in floods. They repair broken walls. Uh, they restore streets. Uh, they bring trust and civil civility back to places where there is chaos because of a terrible storm or an earthquake or whatever it might be. Uh, they restore the possibility that people can once again live in the streets uh, with their dwellings and their, and their houses can be safe once again. All kinds of opportunities. Some of you have been in those places where you have been rebuilding, repairing, and restoring physically, but as you do that physically, what happens? People will come up. This happened to, to me, and I've heard many other people tell us. Uh, you know, we were there working on uh, mucking somebody's basement out, uh, two feet of mud out of their basement, and somebody comes along and says, what in the world do you want to do this for? You know, you don't have to do this. And you, and you get to give them a, a, a brief testimony and say, because Jesus loves you. Because we love Jesus, and we want you to love Jesus too. So a simple way to rebuild, uh, repair, and restore people's lives. Isaiah 59 tells us Christians live as examples of justice in a world that needs justice and righteousness and ways of peace. 
Uh, our descendants will revere God, reverence God, another R-E word. They'll reverence God's glory when they see us about the work of God's kingdom. They will receive the Redeemer in their life, our descendants and those around us. They will repent of their sins as we have. They will come to invite God's Spirit into their life. And God's Spirit will come not just temporarily, but Isaiah says forever into eternity, God's Spirit. He will not leave us. He won't forsake us. So Isaiah tells us that we can join with the Lord by example. We can rebuild the ancient ruins of a better world uh, that God wants it to, to be again. We can help the Lord to restore places long devastated because of evil influences. We can renew cities that have been devastated by evil. Isaiah 61, let me just read one of those verses for you. They, 61 and verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Recently, a month or so ago, I guess, we were at Second Baptist Church in Erie for our association meeting, and Second Baptist Church joined our association of churches, and the pastor, uh, Higginbotham is his uh, name, he says, they are about that very thing in their city. A Second Baptist Church has taken that uh, Isaiah 61 passage literally as their mandate. They are going to try to rebuild the ancient ruins that uh, were once a beautiful city in their neighborhood. They're going to try to restore peace, uh, restore places long devastated because of the evil influences of drug abuse and alcoholism and all kinds of other stuff that's going on in their community. They're going to renew the ruined city uh, and help it to be rebuilt, it's the, the city that's been often devastated because of evil. There's a, there's a group of people that, that God has established a beach, as a beachhead right there uh, in, in Erie. And you and I can be part of that, whether it be helping them or another church, or in our own community. There are plenty enough problems that need to be rebuilt and restored and renewed right here in Greenfield. It's more than just a physical battle. Pastor Higginbotham says it's a spiritual battle. And their goal is to rebuild and restore and renew their neighborhood spiritually as much as physically. Finally, Isaiah gives us in, in verse uh, chapter uh, 11 the ideal of what will happen. In very poetic language uh, that um, uh, I'm sure the disciple John would agree with. Isaiah 11, uh, he says, this is what it, that new world's going to look like. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of a cobra, and the young child will put his hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Why? Isaiah says they won't do this. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the goal that God has in mind for a new heaven and a new earth. And he's inviting you and I to be part 
a demonstration project, an example, a beachhead in this world to show people what the real world will be like someday soon. Jesus offers that invitation, just as John offered in, in Revelation 21 and 2. Jesus offered it to a woman at the well. He offered to give her the water of life. Uh, she thought that all she needed to do was come to the well once in a while and get some water, and everything would go well. But Jesus says, whoever drinks this water from this well uh, will become thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him, give him will become in him a spring of water welling up unto eternal life. Each one of us can become springs of water welling up into eternal life, not only the eternal life that Jesus has promised us if we're his followers, but the eternal life that someday will be here in this new heaven and this new earth in which we will dwell. John offers the invitation at the end of chapter 22. He says, Come, let him who hears come. Whoever is thirsty, come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. If you haven't accepted that free gift, today's the day to do it. Receive the gift of the free water of life. Drink from the water of life. Jesus offers it to us. And if you have, then join with me and join with your brothers and sisters in the Lord and create that new, that new example, that new way of living that people around you and the world will say, I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of the Lord's kingdom, which will soon come. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the promises of John and Isaiah long ago. We know, Lord, that as uh, uh, Mark read earlier, uh, that this will come soon. Uh, that a day in your sight is like a thousand years for us, and a thousand years are like a day. And you're not slow, as we might think slowness, but the Lord is waiting and willing that no one should perish but that all should come to him. And Lord, if there's those who need to come to you today, that this might be the day that they would come and receive that gift of abundant and eternal life. And Lord, if there's those of us who have not taken seriously our role to be rebuilders and restorers and renewers, uh, help us to do that so that we can be that demonstration, that example, that beachhead in a world that needs to see Jesus at work in us. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.